In the message today, Pastor Josh Brady is continuing to teach from the book of Genesis as we move through our series titled, Stories That Shape Our Faith. In this series, we're taking a look at stories you've likely heard since childhood, but may have never thought more deeply about. Today, we'll hear about Noah and the ark. As always, we pray that we'll be challenged and changed as we open God's Word together. Good. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Genesis chapter 6? Genesis 6 is going to be our text for this morning. Uh, Guys, we are in week three of this 10-week-long sermon series called The Stories That Shape Our Faith. Uh, And just to to look back over the last two weeks and and where we've come, we started uh, two weeks ago in the creation account in Genesis, uh, particularly chapter one in our Sunday morning time, but it's Genesis one and two. And in honor of Mother's Day, we went to uh, Genesis three. I am so kidding. That was not intended to fall together. But we talked about the fall that happens in Genesis chapter three. And today we pick up in Genesis chapter six through nine. That's a lot of text in the account of Noah and the ark. Now our hope as we journey through these stories, which which are actual real accounts, is for us to see that there is so much more than just fun little children's stories that we've learned a long time ago. That these stories are deep with the understanding about who God is and how he loves us and wide in the application that they have in our lives. No doubt we can read through the New Testament and we will say, well, I see how prayer uh, scripture applies to my life, or I see how uh, understanding how to walk with with others is, is good for my life and I can apply that. If I could encourage you today that as we look at what happened with Noah, what happened in his generation, that this may be one of the most applicable texts that you have ever ventured in in the scriptures, because this is going to tell us how we arrived at where we are today and how we, as God's loved, how we are to navigate in this generation we find ourselves in. All right, so as we are about to jump in, let me, let me give you the, kind of the quick rundown of Genesis, okay? Genesis 1 and 2 is creation. Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 4 is Cain and Abel, and, and that's so much more than just two brothers feuding. That's what the fall does to humanity, okay? Then we get to Genesis 5, which we're not going to cover in this series, but it is all the generations between Adam and Noah. And then we get to 6 where we jump in today, and and it's strange because we're going to go from at the end of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, the Bible says, For God saw everything that he made, and behold, it is very good to, well, that's where we pick up today. Genesis 6, verse 1. Look with me, if you will. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, The sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, and his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim who were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them, these were mighty men of old, the men of renown. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. All right, so if we were going to camp out, we're not, but I want you to look at verse five. Have you ever wondered why God got to a point with a people group that he said, I can't have them around anymore? It's kind of terrifying to think, what was that generation like? What were those people like? Verse 5 gives you clearly who those people were and what it was. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every, every intention of thought of his heart was only evil continually. So there was nothing good. It went from, I saw what I created and it is good to, I looked out and I saw nothing good. Verse six, and the Lord regretted all that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's hard. Verse eight, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all the flesh had corrupted their ways on the earth. And God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch, because we're not going to come back and cover that pitch as sap. Verse 15, this is how you were to make it. The length of the ark is going to be 30 cubits. The height, or the breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. Set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with a lower second and third deck. For behold, I will bring floodwaters upon the earth and destroy, destroy all flesh in which the, the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, and you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark and keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the, of the birds according to their kind and of the animals according to their kinds and every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is to be eaten and stored up. It shall serve as food for you and food for them. Verse 22 is key. And Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to, to, to chapter 9 of Genesis, okay? I'm telling you the story because a lot of times we get the Jesus storybook version where it's maybe a sentence, maybe a paragraph at best. So we get the call on Noah's life. He finds favor in the eyes of God, and he is told to go and build this humongous boat, a boat bigger than anyone had ever seen in the history of ever. And he's to build it out of gopher wood and tree sap. 
He's to build it and trust that God is going to send him animals. And when they get there, they're to have a room for them. He's going to collect all this food for his family and all the animals. That's where we are. But when we jump into chapter 9, a lot happens between where we stopped in chapter 6 and where we're about to pick up. So let me catch you up quickly in the in-between chapters, okay? It's going to take Noah 150 years to build the ark. 150 years. And sometimes we look back at Genesis and we will say, well, were those years really our years? Like, was that kind of like dog years? No, listen to me. 150 years is 150 years. He gets a call from God and says, go build this ark. And he builds it. It takes him 150 years. Noah is 600 years old when the ark is finished. God tells Noah and his family to get onto the ark and he closes, God closes the door. Noah and his family are on the ark for seven days without anything happening. But the Lord said, get on the ark in seven days. I'm going to flood the earth. They did. On that seventh day, it started to rain. Then the Bible says, and again, we're not going into this, but I want you to understand there were three levels of filling the earth. There was rain from the heavens. There was fountains from underneath, and what the Bible describes as the windows of heaven opened up and poured out water. I don't know what that day looked like, but I guarantee you it was pretty terrifying. So they're on the boat. The seventh day comes, and it starts to rain from high. The windows of heaven open, and water gushes out, and then the the, the ground breaks open, and water gushes up. The fountains of the earth give their water, is what the scriptures tell us. And it does this for 40 consecutive days. By the end, everything is covered in water and every living thing is destroyed. Although it only rained for 40 days, the flood lasted 150 days. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day, the ark hit ground on Mount Ariat. There's a picture right here. If you ever wonder where the historical location for Mount Ariat is, it is right there in eastern Turkey. That is where it's believed because of what the scriptures tell us exactly where Noah's Ark came to rest. We can take that graphic down. Now we pick back up in verse 9. As they're getting off the ark, this is what God says. And God blessed Noah. This is Genesis 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, see if this sounds familiar, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave to you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. For every beast, I will require it from, uh, and from every man. Another way to hear that is if you kill something and it is not for food, I'm going to take it out on you. From this fellow man, I will require a reckoning from the life of man. Verse 6, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you 
Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and his, his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and, and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many had come out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant, that it is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, that is the longer version of the story of Noah's Ark. But what does that have to do with today? Josh, you promised us solid application today, and so far you read a whole lot of stuff that seemed to repeat itself often. Well, I want us to go back, and I want us to, to ask some honest questions that maybe you've already asked about Noah, the Ark, and, and the, his generation that he lived in. So, so here, here it is. What is the story, the account of Noah really about? Is it about a giant rainbow? In our house, I couldn't find the book, I was looking for it yesterday, but in our house, when Gideon was really little, we bought this book and it was Bible stories and it ended as a pop-up book with Noah's Ark. And, and as he's gotten older, Mary Joy's loved it and now Lydia's loved it, but Lydia is probably the most rough out of all of our kids. And so whereas before it would pop open and this rainbow would spring and this boat pops up and this giraffe smiling pops up and this elephant is over here popped up, Lydia straight pulled those dudes out and they didn't make it in the ark. And so I don't even know where the ark is at this point, but is, is the story, is the account of Noah about the rainbow? Is it about the ark? Is it about the big flood? Well, maybe it's about the death of almost every living thing. Maybe it's about God's judgment. All right, so all of these are elements of this account. But the entire point of this story, this story that shapes our faith, is God's salvation. And I don't want you to miss this, because in the same way that Noah and his family are going to be saved, church, the offer of salvation is open to us still today. Now watch, watch what's going to happen right here, okay? What does salvation look like? Who can receive it? How can someone be saved? All questions we are going to look at in the time that we have left this morning, okay? So remember, this is an actual account. It actually happened. Moses is writing so that God's people can know their history. But there's so much more to it. Moses wants them to know their God and the salvation that he brings. Genesis 1 through 3 tells us our great need for salvation. Genesis 6 through 9 tells us of our great God who saves. So let's, let's go back 
Back into the account. So, so we just finished that portion of chapter 9. Go back to chapter 6 in the beginning. And I just want you to see this, okay? Why did God feel sorry that he created humanity? And without diving too deeply into this, we see in the first five verses of chapter 6 the complete depravity of all of his creation. And I don't just say man, because what we get here, and I can't explain it to you guys, but what we have, according to Moses' writing, is that there were angels who have now fallen, who have decided that they wanted to come down to earth and be married to the women. Now, it is unique that Moses would even use that word to be married to them, any that they saw fit. So it wasn't just that they were coming down and taking these women. They were coming down and convincing the fathers, because this is how marriage works in Genesis, convincing the fathers that they needed their daughter, and the father would give blessing to the angel to have them. And from those uh, arrangements, however it were, came children called the Nephilim. All of this is wild to us. And so when we get to the end of this and it talks about them, the Nephilim being the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown, we hear that and think, yeah, they were warriors. No, this isn't painting them in a good light. This is full depravity on display. And then we get to the point where it says, And the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That's out of the ESV. It sounds kind of broken up to get the point across. Here is the point. There was no good in man. None. None whatsoever, not even in their heart, not even in the deep recesses. They didn't have potential to be good, but there was one guy. His name was Noah. God saw fit not to kill Noah, and now the question is, why? What was special about Noah? Was he perfect? Nope. So what was special about him that, that didn't get him killed with everybody else? Look at Genesis 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. All right, so your next question should be, how? Because if Noah can find favor, can we? Can we find favor in the eyes of God that he would look upon us and say, well done, is that even a thing? Is that possible for us? The answer to that question comes from Genesis 6, This is the key verse in all of Noah's story. Genesis 6, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him, period, full stop. Noah believed God and obeyed God. Therefore, God favored Noah. Do you guys remember the old hymn, Trust and Obey? Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than trust and obey. Noah believed God and obeyed God. All right, so what you're going to see on display here this morning is God's grace and man's faith. The same grace that God extends to Noah in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9 is the same grace that he extends to us today. I know sometimes we can read an Old Testament account like this and say, well, God was way different in the Old Testament than he is today. No, he's not. 
And you say, well, why, why are the accounts of the Old Testament and the New Testament so different? Well, there was a pretty big thing that happens in the course of history that divides those two. That God in the Old Testament would pour out his wrath on those who earned it. And then there was a man named Jesus who came and received all the wrath of God for all of mankind, for all those who would believe in him. God didn't change from Old Testament to New Testament. He's still the same God, still the same grace that he gives. So what is God's grace to Noah? Look with me. God is gracious to Noah and his family because he told them that a flood was coming. He told them that he would destroy everyone and everything on the earth. And God told him exactly how to build an ark that would save them. That is God's grace. God did not have to do that. God was gracious to them with truth. So here is Noah's faith. Noah believed God. And in the same way that Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, Noah believes God and it was counted to him as righteousness as well. So what did Noah do after he believed God? Back to Genesis 6, He did all that God commanded him. God gave him these specific measurements of the ark. You guarantee that ark was going to be specifically that big, that wide, and that tall. Took him 150 years to make it perfect. He believed that God was going to send a flood. He listened to God's instructions on how to build the ark. He built the ark for 150 years. He preached repentance and trust in God for 100 plus years. And you say, well, Josh, that's not part of the Genesis narrative. You would be correct in saying that, but it is part of 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you want to write this down, 1 Peter 3, verse 20, Peter speaks to. Peter speaks to this. Jesus speaks to this, not as allegory, but as a factual account. And what Peter says here, that God was patient in his wrath during the time of the ark in the days of Noah. Meaning that for every one of those days that went by, Noah preached to the people, the wicked people around him, that they would repent of their sin and hope in God and get on this ark and they would be saved, but none did. When God told him to get the animals, he went and got the animals. When God told him to get on the ark, he went and got on the ark. Noah listened to God and did what God said, church, don't miss the simplicity of this message. Noah listened to God and did what God said. Noah put his faith in God's grace. Noah put his faith, put his actions, his life, what he believed to be true in the grace that God had extended to him. What was the result of that? Salvation. Noah's family was saved. So why didn't God save more people? The ark was available, but the others didn't get on. God's salvation was there, but they chose not to accept it. Guys, God's salvation was there for 150 years. It's not like they came up on a Friday, the boat was here on a Saturday, and they were dead on a Sunday for 150 years. 
They heard the same message over and over and over again. God is going to send a flood. They are going, everything is going to be destroyed. Repent of your sin and put your faith in God. And they said no. The salvation story isn't found in just Genesis 6 through Genesis 9. We see it throughout the scriptures from, from Genesis to Revelation. If you go back, one of my favorite Old Testament accounts is Numbers chapter 21. You don't have to turn there, but you may want to write this down. That God's people, they're, they're in the wilderness. They start complaining against God about the food that God is providing for them. So God gets tired of their complaining and sends serpents to bite them, many of them. They're poisonous serpents, and many of the people of Israel, uh, of the Hebrew people, are dying. And so Moses goes to God on behalf of the people and says, God, what, what can we do? How can these people be saved? And then God tells Moses to go and fashion a bronze serpent and to wrap it around a pole and to find the highest point and to hold that pole up. And so the bronze serpent can be seen. And if any of those who were afflicted and bitten by those poisonous snakes would just look at the bronze serpent, look at the bronze serpent hanging on the pole, then just by looking and believing that was God's provision, then they would be saved. God gave grace, but they had to bring faith. God was gracious to many, but many did not put their faith in God's grace, and therefore they were not saved. They died with the poison pulsing through their veins. We see it again in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. God is gracious he tells us that we are broken and that we need salvation. And he sent his son not to condemn, but to save. And all we have to do is put our hope and trust in Christ and we receive salvation. God's grace has to be met with our faith to experience the salvation that God has in store for us. You say, well, Josh, it seems like you are now preaching something that we have to do. No, no. What I'm telling you is, if you don't put faith into the grace that God has put in front of you, it is a false salvation. John 3.18 says it clearly. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Why? Because they've put their faith in God's grace. But whoever does not believe is condemned when? Now, already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Let this simple gospel message sink into our hearts, church. God's grace. We are sinners in desperate need of salvation. But despite our sin, God still loves us so much so that he sent his son Jesus to come and save us from our sin. That's God's grace to us. But our faith, our faith is whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So our faith in what God has sent to us is do we believe that he is the son of the living God? 
When Jesus is, is asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they start spouting off. Well, some say you're Moses. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet that's come. Then he kind of zeroes it in and he asks him a really important question. He said, but, but who do you say that I am? And that's when Peter speaks up. He said, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus makes this, this statement that sounds strange in the moment. But listen, it is in this statement that the whole church is built upon. He says, and you are right, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And on that statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never stand against it. Wait, just in the statement, no, it's in the fact that Peter believed that he was who he said he was. So the question that we get to today, what are you going to do with the ark that was sent to you? God is gracious to us to tell us that we are broken. You say, well, Josh, that doesn't sound gracious. That sounds mean. No, no. The mean thing would be to act like nothing was wrong and you get to the end of your life and say, why didn't somebody tell me? God is gracious to us to make clear our desperate need for a Savior. And so the question is, what are we going to do with the great grace that has been extended to us Will you put your faith in him, in Christ, or will you continue to put your faith in yourself, thinking, I can do this, I can fix it, I can make it better? I think our story is best summed up in one more part of Scripture. I know we've read a lot today. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2. And hopefully you've caught the gist of this as, as the sermon has gone on today. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions by our own flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God. Verse 4, the turning point in our story. Grace comes to us, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. We are broken, but God in his grace sends a Savior, sends an ark and what we must do is to believe that what God said is true and we come to Christ for salvation. By grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. 
For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. How is one saved? It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ as we put our faith in him. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, as we prepare to respond today, our worship team is going to come back up, but I do not want you to miss this message. This story, the story of Noah's Ark, literally shapes our faith and how we understand and respond to salvation. No doubt there were many who walked by that giant ark every single day. For 150 years, they saw it. They talked about it. Conversations dominated the scene. Every time they were at dinner, every time they, they went out, every time they went to work, every time they came into their house, they would see this ark, and they would, they would talk about it all the time. They would walk by Noah, and Noah would tell them all the time, destruction is coming, a flood is coming. They heard it all the time. They saw it all the time. But hearing about it, seeing it, talking about it didn't save them. Who were the ones who got saved? The ones who got inside the ark. My great fear as a pastor, and it has always been this, is that we grow up in such a religious culture that we talk about Jesus an awful lot. We see depictions of Jesus every day. It becomes a part of our DNA to hear songs. You may, you may listen to K-Love. You may listen to Air One. You may have crosses inside your home. You may have five, six, seven, eight Bibles. But if you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, you will not be saved. Church doesn't save you. The Bible doesn't save you. Talking about Jesus doesn't save you. Putting your faith in Jesus saves you. So my question is simple. And I can't answer it for you. Have you put your faith in the grace that God has extended to you and I? His name is Jesus. And he says, all who would come, he would receive. I'm begging you not to be like the countless thousands, if not millions, who walked by that ark for years. They probably knew every aspect about that ark, but they never got on. Please don't let this be your story. Don't put your hope and trust in religion. Don't put it in the church. Don't put it in somebody. Don't put it in a lineage. Put it in Christ and Christ alone. For in Jesus Christ, we find salvation. So I'm going to open up the invitation time now. We're going to have ministers down front. Altar will be open. 
I'm begging you, I am begging you with all that I am, don't miss this. Father, I thank you so much for the grace of your word today. Truth, I pray, Lord, that if my words, as they were feeble, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to respond. God, please make it clear to us in this room and anybody watching right now, if we have only talked about Jesus, seen Jesus from a distance, we only know him from stories outside of our own experience with him. God, would you make it clear today that we are not safe in your arms, but God, we need to come and put our faith in your grace. But Lord, for the believer today, I pray that those who have put their faith in your grace, in Christ, Lord, that our hearts would be rejoicing eternally. Because we know that when, when, when the skies open up and the grounds open up and this world comes to an end, we will not fear the terror that stands before us. Because we are held by the one who holds it all. So help us give good and faithful witness to the one that we've put our faith in, in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, and it's in your powerful name that we pray, and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me? This has been a production of Broadmoor Baptist Church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with others, and don't forget to subscribe. To help us spread the word, please give us a five-star review, and tell your friends to subscribe as well. They can find us wherever they prefer to get their podcasts. And if you'd like more information about Broadmoor, please visit our website at broadmoor.org or connect with us on your favorite social media platform where we're listed as at my Broadmoor. Thanks for listening.